I do want to say, as Mike already mentioned, happy Father's Day to all of you. I, I am hyper aware every time I stand up here on either Mother's Day or Father's Day that uh, there, there is a wide range of emotions on these days. Uh, some people have wonderful memories of their parents. Others have horrific memories, and I'm well aware of all of the emotions represented um, on a day like this. Uh, it's an odd day for me. This is the first Well, we should just move on. It's just weird. First day in my whole life, um, first Father's Day, that I haven't had my father. Um, But the joy and the gratitude that I have of having had a father like that um, far surpasses the, the loss that I feel. So thank you, dads. As Mike said, thank you to all of you who are... Um, really uh, taking this seriously, rolling up your sleeves, being a father, investing in your children, discipling them and raising them, um, it is making a difference. It's one of the things about parenting is you don't see large, sudden changes and results of your efforts. It's sort of like gaining weight. You know, it happens one ounce at a time. You never, you, no one has ever gone to bed weighing 150 pounds and woken up the next morning weighing 400. It doesn't happen that way. And it's the same with parenting. You know, you, you parent, you parent, you parent, you give, you pour out, you sacrifice day after day, month after month, year after year. And sometimes you wonder, is this really making any difference at all? I assure you it is. So keep on, keep on. I also want to thank David for the message last Sunday, a very difficult subject uh, one that uh, no matter how you teach it, you're going to have um, questions and controversy and whatever. I think he did a tremendous job uh, unpacking all of that. So thank you, David, for that. <clears throat> Grab your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah. We're continuing uh, making our way through the Bible, teaching the books in chronological order the best that we can. I will say Jeremiah, in my opinion, out of all the Old Testament books, is the most difficult book to put in chronological order. Um, There are themes and events in this book that jump from uh, chapter 7 to chapter 26, back to a part of chapter 7, back to later in the book, and it is quite a challenge to put all of this together. I'm going to do my best to make this... uh, a turbulent free flight as we go through this book over the next few weeks. But I will say this also, I think probably second to Isaiah, this is maybe the greatest book uh, in the Old Testament. It is powerful, it is full of tremendous um, truths and themes that if we will listen and apply them to our lives, will transform our lives. And I don't say that lightly. So I pray that as we step into this book today, um, we will do so with anticipation and eagerness and expectation of what God wants to teach us through this book. You know, it's troubling for me to see the number of people in the world and in churches who have no idea why they're here on this earth. No one has ever 
told them or shown them from Scripture that their life has meaning and value, that, that they were born for a reason and for a purpose. And so they live their life like it doesn't have any meaning, like there is no purpose. And I can tell you, I've seen over the years, living a life like that has devastating consequences. I mentioned to you, this was uh, two years ago now, Uh, our son Nick, who's now 26, was 24 at the time, he lost four close friends in one year, 24, 25-year-old boys, one to suicide, three to overdoses. Caroline lost one friend that year, a little brother of one of her best friends. That's five young people in one year. And the overdoses were, from what we know, most likely suicides as well. I want you to think about that. That's just people we know, five young people in one year. I realize there are a myriad of reasons for why things like that happen. So I'm not trying to pin it down to one thing, but the foundation under all of those reasons is that at some point the person convinced themselves that their life had no purpose, that there was no reason to go on. And it's heartbreaking. I'll never forget the phone call from sweet little Maddie about 11 o'clock at night saying, Pastor Phil, my little brother just took his life. See, we are living in times, and the world has always been troubled, make no mistake, but we are living in times when it seems that hope is draining away from people, that people slog their way through life day after day, just getting up and going through the routine again, over and over and over again. And they're thinking, is this all there is? Because if it is, I don't want to stay on this hamster wheel. Um, May I be bold enough and invasive enough to suggest that possibly some of you sitting here right now looking at me have thought the same thing? Today, we meet a young man named Jeremiah, who was an ordinary man, living an ordinary life in an ordinary place. But one day, he had an encounter with God, or should I say, God had an encounter with him, because we don't seek God, God seeks us. God had an encounter with Jeremiah that would give his ordinary life a whole new purpose and meaning. Now, the opening verses of Jeremiah, which I've mentioned to you in these Old Testament books, are always very important because they give us the the time and the place and the date and so on. We're going to, we're not going to focus on those this morning. We'll come back to those in future weeks and tie those into some upcoming events. But the opening verses basically tell us that Jeremiah's life spanned the reign of three kings, which is quite unusual. He had a, a long life and ministry one of the kings that you'll see there in those opening verses that Jeremiah said he, um, 
he was alive for this king's reign was King Josiah, who we just recently studied. Josiah was the young man uh, who became king and began spiritual reform in the land, um, tore down the idols, reestablished worship in the temple, and so on. Jeremiah was alive during that time period. So it kind of gives us now the time frame uh, of where this is taking place. But it's his encounter with God, God's encounter with him, that I want us to focus on for a few minutes this morning. What I want to do is read... um, Let's see, verses 4 through 10 of chapter 1, just to get the setting of what happens here. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you or set you apart. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Verse 6, then said I, ah, Lord, God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am a child or a youth, for you shall go to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Verse 9, Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms. Wow! To root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Scholars pretty much unanimously agree on this, just based on all of the dates and timing that we can gather together, that when this event happened, Jeremiah was less than 20 years old. It's astounding to think of such words coming to a teenager. I will put you over the nations, over the kingdoms. Oh, that sounds great. I'm going to be super popular. Comma, to tear down and to destroy. Oh, wait a minute. That doesn't sound that good. The, the weight of this call that comes to this young man is staggering. I love verses 4 and 5. These are such precious verses. Let's look at those again. Then the word of the Lord came to me. That's a theme that runs throughout this book. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. By the way, for all the liberals out there who say that the baby in the womb is just a clump of cells, sorry, that's a pathetic, weak excuse to kill your child. I've never had one of them, by the way, I'm getting off track, but I've I've never had one of them be able to answer my follow-up question, so tell me then, when exactly does it become a person. Blank stare. Mm. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Now, it's important. uh, We don't have time to drill down on every word, but 
I think it's important to know that when God says here, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, the word knew there, K-N-E-W, doesn't mean to simply have information about someone. I know about uh, Abraham Lincoln, but I never knew him. There's a huge difference. The word I knew you here is the same word in Genesis when it says Adam knew his wife. You understand? It is the most intimate knowledge of another person that you can have. God is saying, Jeremiah, before you were even born, I knew you intimately. I knew you fully. This is quite a thought. God is saying, I knew you, everything about you, completely before anyone else did, before you ever made your appearance in this world. And he's saying, before you were born, I sanctified you. The word means to set apart for a special purpose. You have some, I'm guessing, uh, what do you call it? Dinnerware, silverware in your home that's just for everyday use. You probably have some that is set apart for special occasions. Uh, we got some of those when we were married. We've never used them. <laughs> but they're set apart, man. Don't touch those. Those are for, you know, the special occasion that we're, we're never, ever going to get to. And so one day our kids will be cleaning out that cabinet going, what, what, what's, let's just toss these out. Well, it's kind of different with God. He says to Jeremiah, before you were ever born, I had a claim on your life. Uh, your parents can claim you. Your spouse can claim you. Your, your company can maybe claim you. But before you ever became a son or daughter, a husband or wife, or an employee, God came along and said, I have first claim on your life. I want you to hear this. In our language today, I'm not being irreverent, but God would say, I have first dibs on your life. I have first claim on your life. Do you know what that should tell you? What that should tell me? It should tell us that you were not born by accident. It should tell us that, that our life is not a product of random chance. God said, I planned you and I have a purpose for your life. But we struggle sometimes to believe that. Jeremiah struggled to believe that. Look at verse 6. Then I said, Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a child. Now, Jeremiah isn't literally saying he's a child. The, the word here can be translated youth as well. Child and youth are both accurate, but the real meaning here is he's saying, I am inexperienced, I am unqualified. It's the same thing um, King Solomon said at the beginning of his reign, when he was still following God, when he still had a heart for God before he got derailed at the end of his life. 
He was called to be the king of Israel, and he said, God, I don't know how to lead these people. I am but a child. I do not know how to go out or come in. I need your wisdom to be able to lead these people. He was saying what Jeremiah is saying, Lord, I am inexperienced. I am unqualified. I am incapable of doing what you're calling me to do. This was Jeremiah's immediate response to God's call. God, I am not qualified for this. You could never use someone like me. If you've ever thought that, you're in good company. And may I say that that response can become, a, it can become problematic. However, there's a measure of that that we should never lose as we go through life and as we interact with God and he interacts with us. There's a measure of that that should always be with us, inside us, this, this sense of unworthiness. God, are you sure you're speaking to the right person? I remember when God began calling me to do this. I was in the IT business. I planned to be there for the rest of my life. And the calls would come in a hundred different ways. And every time I would say, God, there is no way. I cannot do that. You've got the wrong person. Imagine me telling God that he's got the wrong person, that I know better than him. But this is a human response. Throughout the Bible and throughout history, God repeatedly calls people who feel completely unqualified for the task. I mean, there's so many. I think of Moses, Exodus chapter uh, 3. Moses gave an entire chapter of excuses as to why God had the wrong man. Uh, Finally, Moses said, um, God, just call Aaron. He's the right man. And eventually, Moses agreed. He surrendered and he agreed. I think of Gideon. God came to Gideon, a man who was hiding out in fear at the moment God came to him. That's just sort of adding a little salt to the wound, isn't it? Gideon, you're the man I'm calling to lead this army against the enemy. Gideon goes, oh, not me. Nope, I'm the least of my family. You've got the wrong person. God, I'm going to have to put you through a couple of tests to make sure that you're calling the right person. This is okay. This is, in a sense, a normal response for humans. But sometimes it's not so much us who feels unqualified. Sometimes it's other people who look at you and think you're unqualified. When Samuel was sent to select the next king of Israel, he was sent to Jesse's house. And God said, one of Jesse's sons is going to be anointed as the next king. So Samuel rocks up at Jesse's house. Jesse, the dad, brings all his sons out and lines them up before the prophet Samuel. The Bible says Samuel looked at the oldest, the tallest, and the strongest and said, there's the guy right there. God said, no, don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Samuel's kind of rocked, and he thinks, okay, well, let's go to the next one. Maybe this is the one. Nope, that's not the one. That's not the one. That's not the one. He gets to the end, and he says to Jesse, well, There's clearly a problem here because God sent me to your house to anoint one of your sons as king. We've gone through all your sons. Do you have any more? 
Jesse's like, do I have any more sons? Hmm. Oh, there's David out in the field, but you don't want him. It's just little David. He's just the shepherd. You don't want him. Samuel says, bring him here. We will not sit down until he comes. And as soon as David walked in, the Bible said he was ruddy in appearance, just this rugged boy with burrs in his hair and mud on his shoes and, you know, dragging sheep manure in on the carpet and all of that. Little David comes in, and the Lord spoke to Samuel and said, Arise and anoint him. He's the one. You see, often, I mean, think about that. David's own father didn't even consider him. There are so many times in life when other people will or will come close to keeping you from God's call on your life because they think you are not worthy. Don't let anybody do that. If God wants to use you to do something for him, Stop saying you're not this and you're not that and stop worrying what other people think or say about you. You don't have to measure up to what people say. Just be what God has chosen you to be. You will get opposition all along the way. Listen, sometimes from the people who are closest to you. I want to tell you... Whether they think you're inadequate or whether you think you're inadequate, you're feeling inadequate or inadequate doesn't disqualify you from God's call on your life. As a matter of fact, it's important to remember that this is how God chooses people. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 says this, Brothers, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Why? So that no one may boast before him. This is how God does things. I want to tell you an important truth. Listen, God's call on your life is not based on your qualifications, but on his ability to make you qualified. And I'm grateful for that. Don't miss the timing of when God chose Jeremiah. God did not choose him in chapter 1 at this encounter. God said, before you were born, I chose you. Why is that important? It's important because what that tells us is that God didn't choose Jeremiah based on anything he had done. Jeremiah didn't have to prove himself to God. He didn't have to try and impress God in some way. Listen, God doesn't choose you because of your successes, and he doesn't ignore you because of your failures. 
Neither of those influence him in his relationship with you. Think about that. God doesn't choose you because of your successes, nor does he ignore you because of your failures. I've told you this many times. I'll say it one more time for today. And then I'll tell you again some other time because it's so important. I don't know who said this originally, but it's true. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. That's a thunderous statement. Now, that should never give us the desire to go and run amok then and say, well, if there's nothing I can do to make God love me less, then let's go live it up. No, anyone who's truly been transformed by the blood of Christ would never want to live that way. Knowing this, knowing that God doesn't choose us because of our successes and he doesn't ignore us because of our failures, knowing this should free us from a life of doubt and it should free us from a life of performance-based acceptance. How many Christians I have met who are caught in this trap of performance-based Christian living. It is destructive. If you want to know something that will wear you out, that's it. To get up every day and think you've got to impress God today. To get up every day and think, boy, I sure hope I do more good things today than bad because I really want God to keep liking me today. Man, oh man, that is an exhausting way to live. Knowing what we've just talked about here should take a huge weight off your shoulders to know that you don't have to wake up every day and try to perform to keep God loving you. That is man-made religious lies right there. It's not the scripture. You don't have to put on a good enough performance to stay in God's good graces. That's, that's what people often do to us but that's not how God loves you. God said, Jeremiah, you didn't do anything to impress me. I chose you before you were born. I chose you because of my grace. But still, Jeremiah felt unqualified. He felt incapable to do what God was calling him to do. See, Jeremiah had his life going already. He, he was comfortable where he was but he was not comfortable going to where God was calling him to. He was comfortable with his present life, and he didn't want things to change. He kind of had the routine down. He, he knew what he was doing. He had maybe gained some clout and some credibility. And now God comes along and says, I want to change everything in your life and put you on this new mission for me. Jeremiah's like, whoa, hey, I'm comfortable where I am, but, I, but I'm not comfortable with what you're calling me to do. See, David was comfortable as a shepherd, but God was calling him to be a king. The disciples were comfortable as fishermen, but God was calling them to be fishers of men. The apostle Paul was comfortable as a Pharisee, but God was calling him to be an apostle. And if they had never let go of what they were confident in, they would never have discovered what God was calling them to. And I know I ended both of those sentences in a preposition, and I don't care. I tried to work it out another way. It doesn't make sense. I'm sorry, Sharon. It, English is ridiculous. 
English is ridiculous. It's my second language. I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> if those people had never let go of what they were comfortable in, they would never have discovered what God was calling them to. This is why Jesus said over and over again, you cannot be my disciple and look back. If you're not willing to let go of, and boy, he named some really personal things. If he had just said, if you're not willing to let go of your house or your job or $500, but he said, no, if you, if you are not willing to let go of mother and father, husband and wife, son and daughter, you can't be my disciple. Listen, you can't follow God and stay where you are at the same time. The thing is, Jeremiah's response was an honest response. I respect him for this. He didn't fake it. He didn't go, yay, Lord, I am the man. Thank thee for calling me and choosing me. Jeremiah's like, oh, I can't do this. It's an honest response. I mean, who would ever blame him for what he said? From a human standpoint, he's absolutely right. He said, Lord, I'm not a gifted speaker. I'm too young. I'm too experienced to do these. Both of those statements are true. But God said, don't say you're too young and unqualified. I will show you where to go. I will give you what to say. I will be with you. I think of the words of the Apostle Paul to young Pastor Timothy, he said, don't let anyone look down on you or despise you because you are young. Hey, young people, listen, you're never too young to be used by God. Don't say, well, when I graduate from college, then no, you won't. Well, when my life is settled, then I'll, no, you won't. Well, when I've paid off my bills and when the kids are, you know, at, at that age, and when, then I'll serve God. No, you won't. The time is now. If you're 12, if you're 15, if you're 17, wherever you are, if God is prompting your heart for something, you are not too young. I think it's, it's intriguing to me that it was Jeremiah's inability to speak that made room for God to speak through him. And this is the way God works. He takes our deficit, this empty space that we have, that we cannot fill with our own brilliance or, uh, or, or um, talent or education, and he uses that emptiness as the open channel to move through. If we're full of ourselves, God has no space to move through us. It's all us. People see all us. I can't tell you, I can't recount the number of Sundays <clears throat> that I have driven home from here and said to Sandy in the car, why am I doing this? What a waste of time that was. Why am I doing this? And as I said, that can become problematic but I feel this lack all the time. I'm the guy 
who dropped out of the public speaking class at the end of the first week. And I said, and I quote, I will never do that again as long as I live. That's a quote. I'm that guy. What am I doing here? This is insane. And so it's a constant reminder to me that my lack is actually not an, a, a deficit to God. It's actually a strength. Because every Sunday when my knees are knocking, back, knocking together back there, God says, oh, good, I've got him right where I want him. Now I can move through him. This is what 2 Corinthians 12, 9 reminds us of. God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. It's enough. It's more than enough for you because my strength is made perfect in weakness. Hey, can we just get real for a moment here? What excuses have you been giving to not answer the call of God? He's not calling you because of your ability so your inability is not an excuse. Do you understand? Your inability is not an excuse to God. As a matter of fact, it's exactly what he's looking for. The success of God's call is not based on your abilities, but on your obedience. Please make note of that. The success of God's call in your life is not based on your abilities. It's based on your simple obedience. And when you obey, God will give you what you need to answer the call. I'll never forget years ago. Uh, this was, well, I don't want to say how many years it had been that I had been resisting God's call because it's embarrassing. But I, I had agreed, you know, I had bartered with God. God, if I teach this Sunday school class, um, this adult class, then you'll get off my back about the pastor thing, right? I was wrong about that. But I remember one Sunday preparing the lesson, and I wrote these words in my lesson. It didn't even dawn on me until I spoke them in the class that Sunday morning. But I said, we're talking about a similar topic, and I said, remember this class, wherever God calls you, he will always provide everything you need for the journey. And I paused, and my eyes welled up, and I got a lump in my throat so big I could barely swallow because I actually heard what God was saying. And it's like the Holy Spirit said to me, do you really believe that, big boy? And in that moment, I said, yes, sir, I do. And that was the beginning of the sort of landslide for us into what God wanted us to do. Because it finally dawned on me, I'm up here teaching this stuff to other people. I better make sure I believe it myself. And I actually did. I was just terrified. When you obey God, he will come along and provide everything you need for the calling. And we see that in the next verse, verse 9. This is so beautiful. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. This reminds me so much of uh, 
Isaiah chapter 6 that we studied a few months ago. God was calling Isaiah, and Isaiah said, Oh, Lord, I, I can't do this. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. You know, that's such a, that's such a pleasant, hallmarky card kind of way of saying that. You know what that's saying? Jeremiah had a filthy mouth. I mean, Isaiah. Isaiah had a filthy mouth. He was a man of rotten, filthy, unclean talk. Isaiah. And then he says, the seraphim took a coal from the altar with the tongs, and he came, and he touched my mouth with the coal. And God said, I've purified you. I'm sanctifying you. You're ready now to go. This is what happened to Jeremiah exactly. He says, uh, the Lord put forth his hand. How did this happen? I don't know. I don't know. The Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. It's, it's amazing to look at this. Jeremiah started out with nothing to say. But when God touched his mouth, he had a lot to say, 52 chapters worth of things to say, more if you include the book of Lamentations, which he also wrote. Jeremiah's honest awareness of what he lacked almost kept him from doing what God wanted him to do. But when he obeyed, he was equipped. Listen, God is not going to equip you for next year's task today. Because when the call comes, you won't need faith. You won't need God at all. You'll have everything you need. This is why the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And one of the things he said was, give us this day our daily bread. That's not how we like to operate. I like to go to the store and stock up for the month. So I want to pray, Lord, give me this month my monthly bread. Better yet, give me this decade, my decade's bread. That way, when I need you down the road sometime, I'll let you know. God says, no, 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 no. I want to keep you on a very short leash. 24 hours at the most. I want you to have to come back to me over and over again. I want you to have to depend on me for your needs every day. God didn't equip Jeremiah for this five years earlier. He was equipped when the call came and he obeyed. Listen, I've seen this over and over again in my family life as missionaries. I've seen it in this church. I've witnessed it in the lives of others. If God is calling you, if it is God calling you, it is always going to be bigger than your current capacity can handle. Always. But when you obey, you'll be equipped. We've seen this so many times in our church. I love the elders in this church. Well, most of them. I won't say who, but I, I love most of them. I have to keep them on their toes. No, I, lo I love the faith of these men. I've seen so many times. I remember before we had this space, you know, we came in and renovated all of this with our own hands. We were down at the other end of the building in a small room, 
And I remember the meeting right up here at a restaurant, sitting at a round table, and we were talking through all this. We did not have anywhere near the money to come and renovate this entire space that we have now with all the classrooms and everything back there. But I went around the table and looked at every one of the men, and I said, is God telling you to move forward? And they said, yes, yes, yes. And we took this step of faith, and man, I'm telling you, uh, uh, under the covers, I was a little nervous. Have we bitten off more than we can chew? Boy, did we ever. But God stepped in behind our obedience and provided what we needed to obey. The same is true in your life. So I ask you, is there any area of your life where you're afraid God won't be able to supply what you're lacking? Let's just get real honest with ourselves here. Is there any area of your life right now that keeps you up at night? You're thinking about the future, and you're thinking, boy, I don't know if God is going to come through on this one. Any area. Your health, your finances, your career, a ministry of some kind, relationships, parenting. Listen, don't let your honest awareness of what you lack keep you from being who God wants you to be and doing what God wants you to do. If he's calling you, it will be bigger than you can handle, but he will provide when you obey. I promise you. And if that doesn't come true for you in your life, come talk to me. I want to hear about it. I'll write a book about it because it'll be an anomaly. Jeremiah found the confidence to move forward despite what he knew he lacked. And I want to begin wrapping it up quickly with this. That confidence, that assurance only comes from one place. It comes from encountering God and being transformed by his word. Fifty-seven times in this book, if I've counted them right, I may have missed some. Fifty-seven times in this book, Jeremiah says, the word of the Lord came to me. Fifty-seven times. How did Jeremiah know what to say? The word of the Lord came to him. How did Jeremiah know where to go? The word of the Lord came to him. How did Jeremiah know how to respond in the circumstances we're going to see unfold in his life? And boy, he went through the ringer. He was abused and imprisoned and almost killed for his faithfulness. How did he know how to respond and navigate in all those circumstances? One thing, the word of the Lord came to him. Jeremiah could testify that at least 57 times that we know of, the word of the Lord came to him and supplied what he was lacking. So let me ask, is the same true of us? Can we honestly say that our thoughts, our words, our actions, our decisions, our direction come as a result of hearing the word of the Lord? Or do you still get your direction from reading the horoscopes every morning? Do you still get your direction and your wisdom from reading the latest self-help book? They're not all bad. Most of them are. Chapter 1, Jeremiah is fearful and he's second-guessing everything. The rest of the book, 
He's a bold, effective servant of God. Why? Because he got his act together? No, because the word of the Lord came to him, and he heard God say, Jeremiah, before you were conceived, I knew you. I had a plan for your life before you ever got here. Imagine how it must have grounded and strengthened Jeremiah to hear those words of assurance and certainty from God. Jeremiah, you're not here by random chance. You were planned. I have a purpose for your life. Imagine the confidence that that must have filled him with. Some of you need to hear that today. You look at your background, you look at your abilities, and you're convinced your life doesn't matter. You look back on your choices and your mistakes and your failures and your sins and you're convinced that God could never use you. There's no reason for your existence anymore in his eyes. Listen, there's not one of you who is here by accident. Not a single one of you is a mistake. You may not have been planned by your parents, but you were planned by God. And just knowing that ought to have profound implications on your life. Hey, I was, I was in my 40s before I found something out. Um, we were all at my parents' house one day, and there were a bunch of other people there. And some ladies were asking my mom questions about the early days on the mission field. And it was really rough going there in Australia. And my mom said, boy, we were struggling to get by. We already had three little kids. And she said, and then... When I went to the doctor and found out I was pregnant with Philip, she said I was so upset I cried all the way home. (laughs) And I said, oh, is that right? Well, this is a fine time to find out I wasn't wanted. She goes, no, that's not what I mean. I go, no, too late, too late. (laughs) You know, I was an unplanned child. I'm not supposed to be here. But God planned for me to be here. Jeremiah was an ordinary man from an ordinary place, and he saw himself as unqualified to be used by God. But he discovered that what gave his common life significance and purpose is not what he brought to God, but what God brought to him. It was only when the word of the Lord came to him that his entire future took on significance and meaning. And man, we will see this unfold in the coming chapters. This, this trembling, unsure young man here in chapter one is going to be revolutionized in the coming chapters to this bold, forthright servant of God, living with confidence and certainty in the one who called him. His life's trajectory was overtaken by the word of the Lord because he was made aware of God's plan and purpose for him, and he began living that out. That's not just Jeremiah's story, folks. That's our story, too. The only thing that takes us from being common and unqualified and adds eternal significance and meaning to our lives is that the word of the Lord came to us at some point and transformed our lives. Christianity is not a self-improvement thing. Christianity is all about the fact that one day God's word came to you and got hold of you and transformed your life and made you a new creation. That's what it's all about. 
His word came to you and changed you. That's, that's true not only in terms of our salvation, but for our entire life's purpose. The thing that gives our lives meaning and purpose is not that we came to the Lord, but that the Lord came to us. The truth of his word intercepted our plans. It changed our trajectory, and our entire existence has been reshaped by it. Jeremiah discovered why he existed, and it transformed his whole life. Listen, I've seen this again and again, as I said at the beginning. When people don't know why they exist, they'll spend their entire life trying to validate their existence through every imaginable kind of effort and endeavor, and they always come up short. They need to know that their life already had purpose and value before they were even conceived. They don't have to prove their worth to God. God knew them, and he knew you before you were born, and he had a plan and a purpose for your life long before you took your first breath. I close with these beautiful verses from Psalm 139. The psalmist said to God, You formed my inmost parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. My soul knows this very well. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Wow. Listen, I want you to know that you were made for a purpose. God's signature is imprinted on you. You have value, not because of what you do, but because of what he has done. Yes, you're unqualified, but you're chosen. Do you understand this? You are woefully unqualified, but you are loved and you are chosen. And that gives your life all the meaning and all the power you will ever need. You were made by God for a reason. And because of that, nobody can get in your way. You can do whatever God has called you to do. The same God who made you will enable you and he will keep you to the very end. If you've never been told this truth, I pray that this simple message today will be the beginning of a new awareness and a new life of purpose and significance for God's glory. Let's pray. Father, I just uh, I pray over this church family right now and all those who are watching online, for those who may watch or listen to this in months or years to come. God, I pray that you would bring a Holy Spirit-anointed awareness to every one of us right now. I know, I know there must be people in this room today who are struggling with this very thing who are convinced that, oh, his life matters, yes, because just look. Oh, her life has a purpose because, sure, just look, but my life doesn't matter at all.
Oh, Lord, I pray you would break that demonic bondage from people right now. Break that wrongful thinking. Make everyone aware of their value in your eyes. You created them in your image. You have a purpose for them. God, I pray that every one of us would, starting today, would lean into you with a great desire to know your will for our lives and to answer that call, whatever it is, whatever it looks like, in something small or something big, that we would be eager to say yes to you, to obey you, and to step out in faith, knowing that you will supply what we need to do what you've asked us to do. Thank you, God, for your amazing grace in our lives. We pray that you would do a work in each of us now this morning because of this word that we've heard. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him.